Let me tell you what this political movement is about. Jobs and growth for all Australians. Don jobs and growth. Have great jobs. Economic growth. Strong growth. More jobs. When they go low, we go high. I'm seeing in my mind something very similar with this bill to a colonoscopy. Let me just stop you so you don't waste a line of questioning. I'm just giving you... I love the mansplaining. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me. Please clap. Please clap. This is Represent. 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 On Sin Nation. Good afternoon. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. I'm Ben. I'm Zizi. I'm Isadora. And I'm Maggie. On today's show, we'll be discussing media ownership laws in Australia and the media crackdown in Cambodia. And of course, we'll be having pop chat where we'll be discussing the most interesting, bizarre and shocking stories of the week. But as always, we want to hear your thoughts. Send us a tweet to at represent or follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash represent. But first, a son. This is The Other Man's Dress is Always Greener by Putelier Clark. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. Life is never what it seems. We're always searching in our dreams to find that little castle in the air. When worry starts... You've just heard Petula Clark with The Other Man's Grass Is Always Greener. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. So, guys, we're starting off with Australian media law discussion because that is something very important that has happened recently. So, a very brief summary of some of the key features, not all of them, that's sort of been proposed under this is that the REACH rule is essentially repealed, which means that um, instead of only being able to broadcast to 75% of the population, of Australia, um, essentially you can have you, you can have broadcasters broadcasting to the entire nation. Um, otherwise, there it has also been repealed is the two out of three rules, which means um, uh, commercial sort of broadcasters can go across all platforms out of TV, radio, and newspaper instead of just choosing two out of them. Uh, what else? Um, other than that, one of the things that Nick Xenophon sort of added to the whole deal is that they've established a fund for regional and small publishers that's worth about $60 million, and that's going to be going into both scholarships for journalism as well as cadetships to really invest in the future of journalism. So a bit of some positives, some negatives. I'm going to kick it off to the rest of the team. What do you guys think about all of this? Well, I think it's a very interesting change to what has been a quite a long-standing um, kind of uh, agreement within the Australian government in relation to media diversity. For 25 years, the Broadcasting Act has kind of demanded that no single company has a monopoly, monopoly on uh, the views that everyone reads. Um, although just with the struggling with how many media organisations are struggling to make a profit, are struggling to just even keep the lights on. I'm not surprised that these reforms are coming through because maybe the only way for... This is quite a depressing thing, but maybe the only way for media to survive in Australia is to be a monopoly and to have you know, comprehensive coverage across the entire nation. Um, the fact of the matter is Australia has some of the worst media ownership diversity and 
it's probably only going to get worse, but maybe that's the only way for us to maintain journalists to be covering the news and keeping sales going. Yeah, so Zizi, I, like, I totally agree. It's Obviously, it's a response to what is a pretty dire state. Um, I think the journalism, uh, the journalists' union, the MEAA, um, I think they put out some stats recently and, you know, maybe over the last four years there's been um, cuts to journalists um, working, so maybe up to two and a half thousand jobs cut. Um, It's a response to a a reality which is extremely depressing if you're interested in um, getting your news and entertainment um, from a diversity of sources. Um, So it's, it's sort of I've been a long time in coming and there's always been huge debate over media ownership in Australia. As you said, you know, we've got these really high um, concentration of ownership um, in Australia and that's always been quite, um, well, worrying for some. Um, but I reckon the real thing on this is is that we don't really know what the media landscape's going to look like in five years. So it's sort of really hard to predict the outcome of this other than, you know, getting rid of the two out of three rule and and, um, measures like that, well, they're there to protect diversity. So the only outcome that you can kind of basically predict is that there's going to be a reduction in that diversity, even given the online platforms and the sort of proliferation of communications. Yeah, that being said, um, I think a lot of this reaction is not just to do with the dire state of the news industry, but also the incoming of a lot of multimedia agencies. So one of the big proponents of this change for many years has been Seven and Nine, who have kind of been bidding to try and get involved in the digital streaming service Stan, and they've been heavily promoting that. And the only way that they can invest in Stan, which is obviously trying to get, you know, cross Australia um, membership, is to actually reform these rules. So maybe it's also... There is some signs of diversity, but they're not local diversity. They're kind of international and new conglomerates coming in as opposed to Australian newspapers or Australian TV shows. Yeah, and I guess like a, a kind of indication of that is the foray into Australia of, say, the New York Times this year and um, previously The Guardian. So The Guardian Australia's got a bureau um, doing great journalism, but obviously they're small outfits that have limited um, scope for reporting um, on the ground. so And of course um, what has really sparked this new round of media ownership um, discussions, Channel 10 kind of falling into voluntary administration um, and again this uh, change to the Broadcasting Act was meant to allow, uh, I believe it was the owners of Wynn Channel um, Wynn to buy in, and Lachlan Murdoch, sorry, to buy into Channel 10 to try and save it. Um, and of course they were outbid or outmaneuvered by the American media company, CBS, who came in and said bought it. So we we are seeing a lot of change in the media landscape. I think it's very hard to predict what we're going to see, mainly because we don't know what online multimedia news is going to... Oh, I shouldn't just constrain it to news. Online media is going to look like... um, I think that's why a lot of people have been pushing for a change to the ownership rules, Um, just merely because, for for example, the famous two out of three rule, where you can't own television, radio, 
and print, well, obviously, if you're online, you kind of need to have a foot in all of those platforms because, you know, we don't think anymore in print, radio and TV. We think of video, audio and text. And obviously that all exists on one site. So I think this is complicated. It is a complex. I think it is necessary, but it is still concerning. Um, And it's just a matter of whether or not we can manage to balance the need for media diversity with the realities that, you know, everyone is doing all the media, (laughs) all the forms, all the platforms. How can you constrain them to just one type? Absolutely, and sort of looking at some of what the academics have been saying is that um, I guess some of them have the concern. They have the concern about what this sort of will mean for the future. Like, this is a president. Like, will there be sort of more effort to, like, water down the local content rule as well? And, like, what sort of... So once this is achieved and these sort of rules are already relaxed, what other sort of issues are we going to relax on? Are we going to say you don't need to cover local content as much and sort of that loss of diversity that we've been talking about, is that going to get worse? But, of course, we don't really know um, exactly what's going to be... Well, well, there has been opposition, not only because of local content um, levels, but also the demand that we produce local children's television. Uh, There have long been rules that every station, free-to-air station, had to have children's content at certain times Mm -hmm. with certain parameters and what you could advertise. Um, I, I don't know if with the current Senate that we have now, they would approve any changes to, like, the local... Um, local issues or news because they represent often seats that are underrepresented in the news and want to retain local content demands. Um, But again, we never know. I think the slippery slope argument is um, probably not likely, but, you know, we never know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in this reform package, they they do talk about regional TV having um, more requirements for boosting local programming. So that's kind of allying that. And Xenophon, as you mentioned, Maggie, um, Xenophon is really focusing on that aspect of media diversity in terms of, like, regional local content and and promoting those sorts of small um, publishers. So, like, it's obviously a concern that they're trying to address, um, at least in this package... But, um, yeah, I mean... That, that being said, well, so Xenathon's package of $60 million funds for media diversity, it is important and it is necessary. However, I kind of have the feeling where if you are... So TV channels like Win, Prime um, and Southern Cross TV only cover local news um, from, like, rural and regional areas. Now, as soon as they are being bought out by 7, 9 and 10... Are we? Is this six million dollar fund gonna at all address? Like, is it just a token of diversity as opposed to enforcing diversity? I'm not sure if it goes far enough in terms of making sure rural and regional news is covered. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who gets these funds from the media outlets and how they're utilised and used, because the major players may get some of those funds, and the output to the regional communities might be little to none. So it's where those funds exactly go to is probably the most important fact that we want to look at and see does it really benefit the community or is it just another token gesture that we're given to the regional communities that we don't want or need. 
There are constraints to the the fund. I believe you cannot be an overseas company, so the Guardian wouldn't be able to access any of the funds, um, and you have to be making a certain turnover under a certain turnover. So obviously, the funds aren't just going to go to Fairfax and News Corp. But you know, is it enough to balance the fact that we're going to have these regional companies basically being bought out by the city? Yeah, I guess we're going to have to wait and see on that one. It's just going to be so interesting um, to watch this story in the future. Absolutely. And so now we will move to a song again, and this is ABC News Themes Remix by Pendulum. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. and you're listening to represent Onsen Nation. And that's a pretty uh, relevant song to uh, all of you at the moment because, as we were speaking about earlier, um, the media reform package passed the Senate today, uh, or this week, rather, and um, a side uh, deal was struck with the One Nation Handsome Party and that really brought to bear a lot of the issues that they've had with the ABC and they are looking to mm-hmm. insert some words into the legislation that might not be going ahead they might not have the numbers there but um, they're definitely pushing for an inquiry into the commercial competitiveness of the ABC i.e. Uh, is it a little too um, competitive with those commercial networks that would rather have less competition so something to watch in going into the future um, but just another little bit of the media reform package that you've got to keep your eye on um, awesome. So, as always, we want to hear what you're thinking about this issue. So, feel free to send us a tweet to SinRepresent or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SinRepresent. Awesome. I think next we're going to talk a little bit about Cambodia and what's happening over there with the, um, you know, press freedom and stuff, all of that. Zizi, I understand you know a little bit about this. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So Cambodia has come under the international spotlight um, in the past few months for what is seen as a crackdown on uh, democratic liberties. So a lot of media agencies have been closed down in recent months, Um, a lot of local radio and local newspapers, most notably uh, an American-funded newspaper called the Cambodian Daily, which is one of the biggest uh, English-language newspapers in the country, was given a $6.4 million tax notice um, and were given, I I believe, only a few months to pay it. Um, the, The newspaper basically alleges that this... They have no evidence of having a tax debt that large, and this was an attempt by the government to basically price them out of existence. Uh, they've been shut down, as well as a lot of local radio who had been broadcasting international content. Um, a lot of them have been shut down as well, had their broadcasting licenses revoked. Um, however, 
perhaps most notably has been the crackdown on opposition parties. So most recently, in earlier this month, on September 3rd, uh, the main opposition leader, Kem Soka, was arrested. Uh, he is the head of the Cambodian National Rescue Party, and he has been arrested on allegations of treason, um, the grounds for which, from an outside observer, seem fairly uh, weak. It was alleged that he had been conspiring with the US government to take down the Cambodian regime based off some comments he had made uh, while in Australia talking about how the international community can help Cambodia. Um, Now, Prime Minister Hun Sen has been in power for 30 years and after a local election earlier or perhaps last year actually he had seen um, his opposition party see major election wins um, at local elections. So the Cambodian National Rescue Party had made significant gains um, and it's believed that Prime Minister Hen Sen uh, felt very threatened by it. So there's been a crackdown in the few weeks. Um, And so now, uh, most recently this week, uh, the Cambodian National Rescue Party was threatened to be dissolved if they continued to support their leader, Kem Sokka. Um, so obviously there's been a lot of international attention about what is seen as a particularly um, targeted attack on democratic forces in the nation. Mm-hmm. And I understand all of this is sort of happening in the lead-up to elections. Is that next year or something like yeah, that? There, yeah, there should be national elections in June next year, mm-hmm. uh, but obviously the campaign is already starting and that means uh, in a country like Cambodia... Um, action is made to silence your opposition. Um, You don't maintain power for 30 years in a nation, um, in a democratic nation, unless there is some manipulation of the vote. Yeah, Hansen has actually come out and said that he wants to, I guess, stay on as a leader for um, another decade for the sake of stability. So you can definitely see that um, behind these words of he's taking actions to make that happen whatever consequences or whatever methods it takes. And I suppose, like, the only good thing that has happened ha- happened out of this, if you can even call it that, is that the response from the public in Cambodia and internationally has been really great. There's been a lot of um, people that have expressed how upset they are and they feel like that their sort of um, ability to access, like... Um, good news, good non-biased news is being revoked and that their democratic rights are being revoked and there has been some pushback, but I'm not sure if that is, you know, enough to really... Yeah, I I think it will be unlikely to push back um, majorly on Prime Minister Hun Sen. Um, I think a lot of the international community is seeing this as a reaction um, to where Cambodia gets its aid, which is kind of an interesting element of international aid politics. Uh, for many, many years, Cambodia was uh, a huge recipient of U.S. Uh, foreign aid, um, and therefore U.S. aid is often tied to dem- democratizing reforms. So a lot of the um, aid coming in was dependent on Hun Sen and his party pushing through you know, media law reforms and allowing free speech and free political parties. Um, However, the US has started to withdraw from Cambodia and we're seeing a large influx of Chinese aid, which is untethered to human rights concerns. So I guess Hun Sen is seeing this influx of um, untied money and is saying, well, I don't need to release power. I can continue to have international assistance without this need for 
democratic reforms. Um, and I think he's just taking advantage of that. Yeah, so uh, if someone such as Hun Sun, he doesn't have an incentive for Canberra to continue being a democracy, he'll be able to take that power away from its citizens to reign control for himself, which in a world where we are today, it's such a depressing thought that can happen in just a few years where a country can go from attempting to stabilise itself to, in essence, in turmoil over a president that doesn't want to uh, relieve his power or his duties. Yeah. I I would question how democratic Cambodia has ever been. Uh, We are seeing a 30-year reign of a prime minister. However, it's worrying that the small steps that we have taken for media diversity and for um, free political opposition has seen some scaling back dramatically. Awesome, awesome. I think that's all we have on that for now. And we will be going to yet another song, and that is You're Welcome by Dwayne Johnson from Moana. Uh, Make sure to also tell us what you think, and you can do that at Twitter by sending us a tweet, at SinRepresent, or remember to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SinRepresent. And like I said, You're Welcome by Dwayne Johnson. You're listening to Represent on Sin Nation. What can I say except you're welcome for the time the sun, the sky. Hey, it's okay, it's okay, you're welcome. I'm just an ordinary demi-guy. Hey, what has you thumb? You're welcome for that beautiful song. You're listening to Sin Represent, uh, and this is obviously your politics show of the week. Uh, we're going to head into Pop Chat now, which is all of the weird and quirky things of politics that have happened over the last seven days since we spoke last. Um, now, I'm going to lead in with this because I thought it was pretty fabulous, but I am from Western Australia, so I would think this. Um, not sure if you've been watching the news. Perhaps you've seen a rogue cow on the loose. In fact, it's a steer, if we want to be accurate, and let's not promote fake news. Uh, it's a steer in the WA Parliament. Now, that might seem a bit of an odd occurrence. You know, Western Australia might seem like the Wild West, but we don't have cows in Parliament that often uh, so it was all part of the promotion of Are You OK Day uh, which is obviously a, a pretty big event on the national calendar now um, and if you haven't had a chance to ask your friends and family if they're alright I would say don't wait, wait around for the next year of, and then the next year's day to ask that ask it any day that you have the thought um, because it's always a good thing to check in with people um, and back it up with conversations throughout the year uh, but it was a part of a promotion of RUAK Day. It's been a long-running thing. There's been a farmer handing over a prized, prized possession, a fine beast, um, and this steer was up for grabs. Uh, it's up for auction to raise money for RUAK Day in Western Australia. And they brought it along to Parliament for, the, for a nice picture opportunity for the press, and things took a slight turn when Winston, because, in fact, the steer was called Winston, took a bit of a disliking to being led around on a lead in the WA Parliament and there's some pretty nice shots of him getting on the loose and uh, his poor trainer just sort of trailing after him, sprinting around, huffing and puffing. You'll be pleased to know, given that um, WA Parliament is bordered by some of the busiest roads in the city, um, no harm was done to Winston, uh, though he was 
uh, removed from his promotional duties for that day. Um, so all's well that ends well, and some great <laughs> fun pitches, which which is you know been a pretty good thing I think for Western Australia because it's it's been a bit grim over there in terms of politics. Um, both the the WA budget got released, and uh, last weekend there was of course Waxit, which. Personally, I don't really appreciate that wax it sentiment, uh, or I should say phrase, because do we really need to to pull Brexit into everything? I, I don't know. It's the new Watergate. You know, not everything's a gate when it's a scandal, and not every move to leave something is an it or x or whatever. Especially since the uh, Western Australia separatist movement has been going for quite some time. I mean, well, this is not a new phenomenon. It's a long history. I mean, every West Australian grows up with tales of secession. No, jokes. Guys, it's okay. We're not We're not all uh, trying to leave the, the Federation. But, of course, famously, um, if you know your Federalist history, uh, Western Australia was very late, almost too late to join the Federation Um we got in just in the nick of time. We were so concerned, umming and ahhing about joining the new Commonwealth of Australia. We only just got in for 1901. Um, and then we voted for a referendum in um, 1930. Um, we voted to leave the Federation and were refused. The, the, the Brits didn't let us leave. There's a whole question around whether you can vote to leave. Um, but that's a bit beside the point in, in terms of this wax it or secessionist debate because it's pretty toned down. They're really just looking at financial security and um, it's all about the money or rather the GST. Yeah, it does always tend to spark up whenever WA hits an economic windfall and of course the latest one was the mining boom which saw massive um, gains in Western Australia which they're not seeing any of the profits from. I believe it's 30 cents on the dollar. 34 cents, yeah. So, I mean, a really bad return and particularly bad when there is a big lag in the the sort of the, the GST distribution system. Um, obviously, the boom happened a while ago and we're not um, it, currently in a mining boom in Western Australia. So, it's a, it's a bit of a rough job market. You know, there isn't much business happening um, so to then be continuing to get the return that is calculated on the basis of um, economic activity from years ago is a bit rough. And I think the Prime Minister acknowledged that when he visited WA recently, um, but then proceeded to say, well, we're not going to do anything about it until um, you know the system um, works this out for itself and then we'll look at fixing it, which is... To West Australians, a bit rich. Yeah, he, he did go over there to Western Australia to kind of tame the locals um, and was maybe, severely hit maybe back. Maybe you might... Perhaps we could rephrase that as yeah. paying some attention to... To ballads. our other half of this country. Yeah, I mean, West Australians <laughs> often feel a bit ignored. Lots of yeah. people don't make the effort of crossing their Nullarbor and it's a bit of a long flight, so... Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, always a perennial issue for West Australians, but it, it has cropped up again. And uh, thank goodness for Astia, because that <laughs> was a real highlight for West Australians, a bit lower in in comedic value at the moment. So what is everyone else's pop chats this week? Lots of fun political activities. 
Um, okay, well, I'll take us outside of Australia for a bit and into Singapore. So, as you guys might know, Singapore has actually elected its first ever female president. Her name is Halima Yaakob, hopefully I've pronounced that correctly. And she's actually the first Malay president in 47 years as well. Um, so this is very monumental. It's a huge deal. Their first female president ever. But um, I will say that the whole sort of, I guess, process has been a bit tarnished in terms of um, getting some criticism surrounding how um, people see that there's been sort of a lack in democracy in that she was the only president-elect. There was no one else that went for it that sort of qualified. So she sort of automatically was chosen, so to speak. And that's just because, um, actually, last year, the Parliament, Singaporean Parliament decided that they were um, in putting in this new rule for um, electing presidents, which is that if um, there hasn't been a president from one specific ethnic group for more than 30 years or five continuous terms, that it would be um, there would be an election where only people from that sort of group are elig eligible to sort of... Um, be selected, and this time it was, um, you know, put in place for, I guess, the Malay sort of population within Singapore. And um, it's sort of hard to tell how much of the dissent is felt by Singaporeans versus how much of it has been amplified over social media and by people outside the country. But what I found really interesting is I just did a really quick Google search of very neutral terms, Singapore's female president. And of course, like the Google results won't be reflective of, um, you know, um, expressively what Singaporeans are feeling right now. But I just found it really interesting that the first link that I got is um, skews more towards a negative sort of view on this in terms of uh, the headline, I believe, is anger in Singapore as first female president is elected without a vote. And then the next two are very neutral. And then when we get to the positives, it's about how she has gotten an emoji um, sort of made in her image. So um, there is a little bit of worry. I think the thing is not so much. I feel like the sort of backlash isn't around the sort of positive discrimination and sort of her specific background, but more so that she was, as they say in the Twitter sort of hashtag, she was selected, not elected, and whether sort of people's democratic sort of, you know, rights were being respected. Um, I suppose something else that is worth mentioning is that in Singapore, the presidential role is more ceremonial. So it's mostly the Prime Minister that makes sort of the big decisions, whereas she's essentially sort of like the Queen or like the Chancellor or the Vice-Chancellor in terms of she is not going to be making the really big, tough decisions about how Singapore is going to be run for the most part. So that's something to take into consideration as well. Yeah, it's quite interesting how there's such a backlash about her election where it's not her personally she's been spoken of, not backlashing about her personally, but how she got there in the first place and how, as Maggie said, there wasn't a vote cast for her or there wasn't any other candidates possible to run against. So it was, in essence, by default that she won the president position by. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to uh, talk about... Um uh, in, in the context of Singapore, you know, we've been talking a lot about press freedoms, uh, media ownership, obviously another indication of democracy in Singapore. It's relevant um, to this conversation just because we're talking about, you know, um, selected, not elected. Well, part of that uh, in terms of Singapore and its 
dubious um, or, or maybe um, contested democratic credentials is the lack of press freedom. Um, obviously, there's uh, most of the print and broadcast media outlets um, are owned or controlled by um, state-affiliated companies. Um, you know, the Freedom House organisation who... Um, Every year they conduct a sort of survey of press freedoms uh, across the, the globe. Um, they, uh, you know, deem Singapore is not free. Um, the press is not free there. Um, there. There are a whole lot of interesting issues when it comes to um, uh, even um, countries like Singapore in, in, in Asia that, that have that sort of uh, very um, developed capitalistic model. The sort of implications for the practical... Um, uh, utilisation of democratic processes. So, um, yeah, all of that is really quite fascinating. But um, another thing in terms of the presidential candidate, uh, I find it fascinating because most of the time when female leaders are elected, we focus entirely on their gender characteristics. And this, in this case, that's been completely surpassed by the democratic issues um, at play. And um, that's probably a first because we quite often focus on that, you know, first um, glass ceiling breaking um, uh, gender factor uh, and then that quite swiftly degenerates into um, continual uh, uh, looks at, you know, appearance and clothing and, and those sorts of gender issues, which has been alluded to a little bit with that emoji. Um, but uh, all really fascinating stuff to keep an eye on as, as one of our near neighbours uh, particularly if you're from Western Australia because, you know, Singapore's a lot closer from there but I'll just keep <laughs> on with that thing, guys. It's fine. Love it. Well, um, Jakob has actually come out to address some of these concerns that people have talked about and she has said sort of in response to that that she wants to be a president for everyone regardless of, um, you know, these like markers of like race, language, religion, gender, all of that. So um, hopefully as she sort of settles into this role... Um, we'll see if, I guess, opinions will change and sort of how um, she'll go on sort of past this point and really fulfil her role, yeah. I guess taking Pop Chat closer to home, we should probably turn our attention to the big vote coming up, or oh, not vote, survey, coming ah. up in Australia. Hashtag not a vote, it's a survey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, we're talking about the same-sex marriage postal plebiscite, um, who has recently got an unusual advocate, um, Frances Abbott, Tony Abbott's mm. daughter, has come out online saying that she is fully supportive of the Yes campaign, um, uh, which is uh, perhaps not surprising, but it is unusual, seeing as Tony Abbott, our former Prime Minister, is one of the leading advocates for the No campaign, calling a vote for No is a vote against political correctness and obviously trying to rally the troops there. Um, some awkward family dinners, as some of us have mentioned before. Well, I think it was always going to be an awkward family <laughs> dinner, seeing as Tony Abbott's sister has come out um, as an advocate for the same-sex marriage vote, um, you know, as a lesbian woman in a committed relationship. You know, this. I think this really represents how um, contested this kind of debate is even with within families this isn't something that everyone agrees on and you're going to have divisions not just you know between politics but between families so yeah and also perhaps represents a bit of a generational divide I mean much has been made of younger younger generations in Australia um, responding to surveys in the past and having a, a really um, 
supportive attitude towards same-sex marriage and um, perhaps more people are concerned or cautious about it in uh, the older generations and maybe that will be reflected in uh, our Australian Christmases this year because we're obviously going to have that national conversation and people are both um, talking about it and... um, perhaps broadcasting it on their um, social media platforms, which is another thing that we should probably mention this week. Um, The survey has been posted out or the mail-out has started from Australia Post and so some people have received their papers and have voted and posted them back, which is the recommended um, route is as soon as you get your papers put in your vote and then post them as soon as possible because um, you want to make sure that it gets in in time and you don't want to forget, you don't want to leave them under a stack of paper, you don't want to lose them. So that's number one. If you get your um, mail from the ABS, just fill it in, turn it right back around, sprint to your mailbox uh, that's closest (laughs) to you. And I have faith in this generation of millennials. I think there's been a lot of lols perhaps about the fact that people don't know how to use post boxes but um, we're not stupid, we know how to use the mailbox. Um, so guys just do it as quickly as possible. But second point is very important uh, you know there's been a lot of people trying to um, put pictures on social media about their vote and um, the best thing is to be cautious and to not post uh, a picture of the form including the barcode because that's the identifier that is particular to your form or your survey. So you don't want to keep that on because then it could potentially, the risk is, be duplicated and therefore your vote could be sort of um, invalidated because someone else could get their um, other vote in in, instead of yours. So it's unlikely, but best practice is Mm. just don't post a picture with that barcode included. I think Australia has had a long history of fighting for like voter rights and very strenuous voting systems. Usually we have a mandatory system um, and often, you know, you have to go in and tick and sign and it gets put in a secure box and you have to make sure everyone only votes once. And we have a lot of legislation that protects your rights as a voter. However, we've come into this very bizarre situation where suddenly people are in a non-binding, you know, postal vote where anyone can access your papers and by putting your papers online you're just adding an extra element where we can introduce elements of, you know, the notorious voter fraud. Um, It's very important that you protect your right to vote and, you know, sometimes that means one less Instagram post or Facebook post, maybe just slap on a slogan or say you voted as opposed to actually showing the physical ballot. Yeah, and the ballot paper is so plain. Like, why don't you do something more colourful and creative to show that you voted? And, yeah, uh, along that note, also just make sure that you don't really put any other sort of marking on it. For example, if you're sort of unhappy with, like, the way that they phrase the vote, don't cross out, you know, certain parts of it and change it, Um, even though that might be something you want to do because that could, as well, um, invalidate your vote. So just make sure, just do it by the lines and just tick whatever option you want to choose, send it back as soon as possible. There was also, on that note, um, please don't put glitter in your ballots. There have <laughs> there was calls for a protest for the plebiscite by people putting glitter in the envelopes back to the ABS. The ABS has basically said, you know, if there is too much foreign material in your ballot, we will not process it, it will break the machines. 
we want a solution to this. We want a decision on on the survey as soon as possible. Don't clog up the ABS's machines. You know, it's it's a you know great form of protest, but maybe not the best forum for it. And you don't want to be the poor ABS worker who has to open the envelopes and just get glitter all over yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sympathy for the ABS people. They're yeah. people too, guys. It's not their fault they have to run this survey. And also, you have to just make things easy. You want to have your voice heard in a democracy and you have the option now to, to vote using this mechanism. And it might not be the mechanism that you want, but this is the state of affairs we're in. So just do what you need to and make it easy for everyone. Perhaps a more concerning element to the postal plebiscite and how it's actually operational is that a lot of people on social media have pointed out that you can actually discover what your vote is. So, of course, one of the fundamentals of our democracy is the fact that everyone's vote is anonymous. Well, people have found out that if you shine a light underneath an envelope, you can see which way a certain person has voted. And this is very concerning because, obviously... There's huge problem. There's a huge concern that people will start, you know, sifting through the votes to process them before they go to the ABS. Um, obviously, we don't want this to happen. Um, we're yet to hear back from what the ABS or the government will be doing to make sure that none of this happens. But obviously, there's been a statement that you know tampering with the vote is obviously a criminal offence. So what do you guys think? Has there been enough security protocols to protect everyone's voting rights? Well, one thing that I've just discovered, a couple of days ago in Canberra, they had some real wet weather and a lot of envelopes got left out just on top of mailboxes by the posties and that resulted in dozens of ballot papers being ruined because they were just left out to the elements. They got poured on by the rain. So it also comes back to... What happens if your vote's damaged? Sorry, if your ballot's da- damaged before you actually receive it yourself, you might not be aware that you'll be getting it soon. So if it goes missing or disappears, you might not realise you can request a new ballot. So you may be wondering, you may think you've lost your chance to have your say on this. I also think just just this is like a fun fact for all of you electoral history nerds out there. Um, it's just a really interesting thing in the context of Australian political history that Australia was this really fabulously innovative place for politics and democracy and we were the first place worldwide to enact a secret ballot. So, you know, Victoria, Tasmania, South Australia led the states in um, creating this ability for people to vote secretly and um, anonymously and that's a really important um, uh, you know, claim for us developing democracy worldwide and, um, yeah, it's, it's sort of an interesting state of affairs now to have this, this uh, slight uncertainty around the anonymity of, of people and, and voting and looking I, through... Yeah, I think it kind paper. of says something about perhaps how unprepared, maybe not the ABS, but, like, the legislation was for these everyday practicalities of operating a postal vote. We haven't done one for a number of years, and it's, it's pretty novel in terms of our history. The fact that, you know votes have not been secured in terms of our right to anonymity and that, you know, it's being left out to the elements, which is obviously something that is going to happen whenever you post out mail. The fact that, like, attention has been drawn to this is a bit concerning, I think. But, you know, if you are at all concerned, I'm sure that the ABS is providing information. If you need a new ballot because yours has been, 
you know, um, damaged in some way, it's a good idea to contact the ABS and request a new ballot. You can request a ballot on their website. So if you just head to abs.gov.au, you'll be able to find a link to request a new ballot to be sent out if yours was damaged or if you hadn't received it yet. And uh, another side note, just favourite that ABS website for your casual viewing pleasures because, you know, ABS produce a lot of awesome um, stats um, unrelated to this survey. But, you know, if you want to know stuff about Australia, give it a whirl. Um, Just a general love-in for the ABS who produce some really cool stuff. So um, just favourite that link, even if you don't need to get a new survey form. But um, they do some good stuff, the ABS. Yeah, so surveys should be mailed out to you by no later than September 26. And for anyone that doesn't receive their surveys, just a reminder that you send in your request for a placement by October 18th via the website we mentioned previously, uh, the ABS website. Now, if you feel like you need support any time during this debate, um, there have been some criticisms of some of the campaigns on both sides. Uh, there are a number of places you can contact, such as Switchboard, QLife, Headspace and Lifeline. Um, so if you are feeling distressed at all by the debate, make sure to give those numbers a call. Should we go into outro? Outro, absolutely. Uh, that's all for us for this week. Um, that's been your Hour of Politics. Uh, remember, if you want to participate in any of our conversations, you can visit our Twitter or Facebook. Uh, we've been posting away there with our lovely producer, uh, we'll be back next week from 3 to 4 p.m. on Sin Nation and streaming online and on sin.org.au. Stay tuned for Technocrats. Remember, you can catch up on any past episodes by listening to our podcasts on iTunes and Omni. And, of course, you can send in your feedback through our social media channels um, on on Twitter at, at sinrepresent or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash sinrepresent. Thanks also to our executive producer, Julia, uh, uh, executive producer, Natasha, and assistant producer, Julia. I've been Zizi. I'm Ben. I'm Maggie. And I'm Isadora. And remember to stay political.